Benjamin Franklin once famously said, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. With many family farms operating as complex businesses, it's important that America's farms know what to expect when it comes time to file their taxes with Uncle Sam. And of course, it's also important that policymakers know how tax changes can harm or affect family farming operations. Welcome to Groundwork. I'm your host, Tom Sell. Today, we'll be talking to the nation's great tax expert for farmers, Mr. Paul Neifer, a certified public accountant, principal at Clifton Larson Allen, and an expert in financial planning for farming operations. Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Tom, you're welcome. And actually being an expert just means I'm at least 200 miles away from anybody. So that's, <laughs> I, I think that's the definition of an expert. So <laughs> That's a good one. I like it. You're more than 200 miles away from Washington, D.C. out there yeah. in rural Washington State. We'll have you tell us more about that. Um, and really, maybe that's a great place to launch in. We want to. Well, I, I'd love to have you just tell our audience a bit about your background, your relationship with farming. How did you come to be known as the, the the farm CPA? You have a blog at CLA Connect. It's it's an amazing resource for for folks. I want to point people to it immediately. But Paul, just tell us how you got how you got into this. Yeah, you know, I, I grew up on a, a wheat, uh, dry pea, barley. Uh, rotation type crop of green peas out here in southeastern Washington state near the town of Walla. I think uh, uh, if you're old enough to remember some Bug Bunny's uh, cartoons, uh, you know, uh, bugs would uh, go to Walla once in a while. So I grew up on a farm there, uh, went to college at the University of Washington, uh, was considering coming back to the farm, but you know, my dad only had an eighth grade education. Uh, my mom was raised on a farm too. Um, but my dad thought it would be a great idea if I became a CPA and, and I still would go back and help with harvest and so on. So I became a CPA, getting to be too many years. It's about 40 years since I, I became a CPA. But uh, over time, I started the blog farmcpatoday.com or you can go to claconnect.com and the agribusiness blog there. But I started that back in 2009. It's like almost exactly 13 years ago. It was March about this time of year. And because of starting that blog, I, um, I got introduced to, uh, at that time, Jeannie Burnick was the editor of Top Producer Magazine. She'd reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to do uh, some articles for the magazine. So I did some articles. And then she said, hey, uh, you know, we're interested in having you do a column. And so I started doing the column, I think, about 2010 2011 and been doing the column ever since and and I think as you well know the the uh, tax reform that was passed back in 2017 there was a sort of a glitch on the 199 cap a uh, you know tax code and I was part of the team that quote did the green glitch fix now some people would argue it wasn't much of a fix but uh, you know at the time that's what we were able to get through so I think because of that and just because I speak around the country probably you know 50 to 100 times a year on various subjects not just related to taxes you know on uh, succession planning uh, yeah. FSA planning and so on that's 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 why I think why I'm called the farm CPA. Well, I've certainly called you that even before the grain glitch, uh, because we've used your your website um, so many times. It's so helpful um, when you actually have questions about how certain tax provisions uh, uh, affect uh, the farming and ranching enterprise uh, in the U.S. Right now, taxes are on everyone's mind. Of course, uh, the general filing date, April 18th, is, is coming up. Um, it's been quite a year. A lot of 
threats that were avoided in terms of massive tax increases. But why don't we just start with, or is there anything, Paul, that, that y'all are looking at right now that farmers, ranchers need to know? Uh, any changes to tax code this year that could impact them? Yeah. Um, the, then, yeah. It goes, you know, as you said, there really is no major tax changes to the code. Uh, you know, we can sort of thank, I think, Senator Manchin, Senator Cinema for that. And we'll talk about, you know, some of those changes that were averted a little bit later on. A couple items that do, do come top of mind. Uh, one is that the March 1 filing deadline, and typically that's used, I'm going to say more by smaller farmers, because right. larger farmers, there's no way they can file them on March 1st. They, they don't have all their records by then. But for smaller farmers, uh, there was a glitch this year. The IRS had come out with a new form. They couldn't get e-filed in time. They also came out with another form that nobody knew exactly whether it was applicable to farmers or not. And, and so, you know, we're, we're all trying to get filed by March 1st, then about you know a week after March 1st, they come out and said, oh, you know, we're gonna give you an extension. Well, you know, that thanks, you know, you could have told us that back on February 20th or February 15th, when it was uh, more important, uh, but they came out uh, actually yesterday with the IRS notice 2022-13 that sort of explained, we thought it was only gonna be for those farmers that had to file that form 7203, which means they have an S corporation uh, well, actually, the IRS came out and gave a blanket, you know, all farmers, as long as they file and pay by April 18th, unless you're in Maine and Massachusetts, when, when it's the next day, April 19th, um, that uh, you're going to get a, a, you know, you don't have any underestimated tax penalty because you didn't make an estimate on January 15th. But, uh, but our recommendation, certainly for farmers out there, don't try, don't try to file by March 1st anymore. Make your required estimated tax payment on January 15th. And then that gives you all the way until April 15th to actually file your returns. So that's, that's definitely our advice there. I think that's really smart. And I, I, I really appreciate the role that even your blog played in, in getting this, this uh, or raising awareness around this, this you know, deadline glitch and issue uh, and helping coordinate efforts to, to, to urge IRS to, uh, uh, to provide some relief there. I think it's indicative of, of, of a lot of the good work that you do. All right, so Paul, I wanna talk a little bit about just your clientele, because here on Groundwork, we've, well, we even recently dug into the, the USDA's report on America's diverse family farms, particularly the definition that USDA uses to categorize a farm. That is any operation that sells or is expected to sell $1,000 worth of farm goods in a year. That's a pretty broad definition. I, I, I'd love to just kind of hear in your experience, um, you know, how many American farmers are actually making a living farming the land? Uh, how many are um, uh, maybe what we'd think of more as hobby farms? And, and just, just uh, you see a lot of people from around the country have a lot of clients. Kind of give us your picture of, of, uh, of, of where we need to prioritize our, our farm policy. Yeah, certainly. I, I think there's that, uh, as you mentioned, that core group of farmers that really make a living primarily from farming. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm guessing in the USDA database, which I think there's about roughly 2 million farmers in there yeah. that are over that $1,000 of gross revenue, that I'm guessing it's somewhere in that 10 to 20% range are really those farmers that make a living from farming. Yeah. Uh, the remainder, uh, certainly they're still important, you know, they're providing value for the local community and so on. Uh, but really the, the farm policy probably needs to be, you know, really orientated toward those 
two, three, four hundred thousand, whatever the number is, nobody I think knows exactly what that number is just because of all the structures that are out there that are hard to be counted. Um, but I think that's really where we really need to be focusing our, our farm policy on because those are the ones really going to be dramatically affected by any of those new rules. You know, it reminds me that there's a member of Congress um, uh, from Oklahoma uh, who is, is really fun to, to listen to and, and, and talk to. He used to talk about one of his good buddies who had gone to New York, work on Wall Street, had a very successful career, investment banker, hedge fund manager. And, and thought, you know, he had, he had uh, become wealthy at a young age and thought, you know, I, I really want to go back and live kind of a pastoral life in, in rural America and, and uh, kind of go back to the farm and try and add into the community. He went back and being, being a uh, seasoned Wall Street professional, he did his due diligence and did his work on <laughs> looking at the uh, financials of moving back to the farm. And after, <laughs> after, <laughs> after uh, going around on that for, for a couple months, he, he came back to, to uh, uh, the congressman and, and said, this is, this is crazy. I don't know why anyone wants to farm. The return on investment is just simply not there. The amount of risk that these family farms take on, yeah. the potential return is, is just incredible. You would never see an investment portfolio like that in, in Wall Street. So uh, let's talk a little bit about um, what, what did go down last year. So last year, there was a proposal floated that would have changed the way family farms are taxed when they transfer uh, uh, the land from one generation to the next. So tell me, why would this change to the so-called stepped up basis be so devastating to family farms? What were kind of some of the wrinkles in that issue as, as you went it, through it last year? Some, some major wrinkles. And, and actually, let's, let's just back up a second. You know, we, we know that Secretary Vilsack had come out and said that uh, what 98% of farms our farm families would not be affected by this uh, quote, eliminating the step up in bases. Well, again, that was because he was using the USDA database, you know, that had, you know, more than a thousand dollars of gross receipts. But if you looked at the database that, uh, you know, I think uh, Texas A&M came out with a study saying that was closer to, I think about 80% of yeah. true family farms would be affected. But, you know, the issue with this was that, you know, America has an estate tax, a federal estate tax, plus certain states such as mine has a state estate tax. And they wanted to compound it by adding this. And the term was eliminating step up in basis. Well, there was no, there was no proposal to eliminate step up in basis. What we had was a proposal to tax you in order to keep step up in basis, they wanted to tax that appreciation, right. and there was no offset for debt. So let's let's just take a maybe a not an extremely successful, but a fairly successful farm family. You know, they have a farm operation. I'm not talking about the land. I'm just talking about the farm operation. It's got grain. It's got uh, equipment. It's got yep. uh, prepaid farm expenses. Maybe some deferred payment contracts, and it's worth. It, it has. All this face value of these items, fair market value is about 20 million, but they have $10 million of debt. So, you know, they, their net worth is $10 million. Right. And likely, maybe they might not have state tax or they would, but let's look at how dramatic uh, this proposal would be. Since you don't get to back out the debt, you look at the $20 million of, of value. And all of these assets for farmers don't have any tax bases. So you have a $20 million gain that when right. the person passes away, 
you're going to have a $20 million gain. If Biden's proposals have gone through on, on increasing the capital gains rate up to 43.4%, which was the effective rate. Plus, let's pretend like this farmer happens to live in California, which the top rate there is 13.3. You're looking at about a 57%, you know, roughly 56% tax rate which means for this $20 million times that amount, that's almost 11, it is $11 million of tax. You got a net worth of 10 million, now you owe $11 million of tax. So the heirs that thought they were gonna get an asset worth $10 million now end up a million dollars in the hole. That's how devastating this, this uh, proposal could have been for a lot of farm families. And I, I did not give you a, a dramatically altered example. There are lots of examples like this in in American farm families, they're even worse than this. So, uh, yeah. uh, you know, this, this this definitely could have been very devastating. Yeah, and and uh, you know, it's often said in Washington D.C. that the farms uh, and the farm families are are famously um, land rich but cash poor, uh, yeah. and and we could call land and other assets. You know, they have a lot of money tied up in machinery, uh, in technology, in that way, uh, in their ability to. Um, work that ground uh, from year to year. And then of course the, the asset in the land itself. But when you, when you think about that, I think that's a big justification uh, among a lot of the politicians of why they don't want to have these massive taxes on assets as they're, as they're passed from generation, one generation to the next. But is that consistent with what you see with the farm families that y'all work with? Yes. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, the, like you say, high assets, uh, could even be high liabilities, but certainly high assets, very low basis. And, 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 you know, the estate tax, we can handle that. We can deal with that in most situations, but this, this proposal quote to eliminate the step up in basis, that was going to be very difficult for a lot of farm families to be able to deal with. And now they had proposals having an exemption, Originally it was a million, then we heard maybe five million or maybe a little higher. Uh, that would be helpful, but uh, uh, there would still be a lot of families that would be dramatically affected by it. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you in your example you actually raised the issue of the family that that is carrying a lot of debt on the land. In fact, you know, from my experience, a lot of times when when farms their their income can be volatile from year to year, even with federal farm programs and all the things that are. Uh, in the system meant to, to, to try and stabilize uh, farm income. Even with that, it's highly volatile. Sometimes in the bad years, what farms uh, have to do is, is to restructure their debt. Uh, yeah. You take out some additional debt uh, to be able to service their short-term needs and get a crop in the ground the next year. And so I think your example is just really relevant where, where you may have a $20 million asset that's, that's you know, burdened by 11 to $12 million in, in, in debt or even higher than that. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate your pointing out that 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 uh, that that debt is not not counted uh, against. Right. Well, and, and again, we would be the only country in the world that has both an estate tax plus this transfer tax. You know, it'd be a double compounding. I mean, yes, Canada has a transfer tax, but they don't have an estate tax. So, um, yeah, it was just uh, yeah, I, I know. You know, the perception out there is that, you know, you have these wealthy people, let's, let's pick on Jeff Bezos with Amazon, that, uh, uh, that, you know, when he passes away, his heirs are going to be able to sell the stock in Amazon tax-free. Well, they don't conveniently tell you that his heirs, in order to get that tax-free, had to pay a 40% federal estate tax to get that. So 
you know, they try to couch it as being a free lunch and it's not. I mean, uh, you typically, in order to get a step up, you are paying estate tax if you're talking billionaires. Uh, and then you had Bernie Sanders out there that was trying to come up with raising the estate tax and he listed all the billionaires in the United States and how much extra estate tax that they would owe. But his, his actual proposal still allowed all these billionaires to put their wealth into a family foundation, such as, you know, the Gates Foundation, right. or, yeah. you know, we know Warren Buffett's putting it there, and and they still wouldn't pay any estate tax, or very little estate tax, so, yeah. um, you know, it, it's just, uh, you just got to be careful, you know, some of this sounds great, but then you read the details, and it's it's not, in my opinion, at least it's not that well thought out. Yeah, that that's, that's great stuff, so it's so important to think through the the consequences intended and otherwise, the unintended consequences in particular. As you say, some of the wealthiest uh, Americans are often used as poster children for, for uh, advancing these uh, tax increases, you know, have the means and have the, 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 you know, they're savvy enough. They have these significant operations with teams of lawyers that can find yeah. ways to avoid, whereas the farm families sitting out there and oftentimes these kinds of uh, tax increases can land right in the lap, lap or, or, or hit farm families square in the nose. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and typically most of these farm families, you know, if you, if you drive by their operation, uh, you know, they got a nice barn or a nice machine shed, uh, but half of them are living in a, in a, you know, a, a manufactured house that they yeah. put on there 40 years ago, you know, they're plowing all of their earnings back into the farm operation uh, you know, they're not trying to, uh, you know, take seven trips to, uh, you know, to Hawaii or have three, th uh, three vacation homes, you know, it's all going back into the farm, it's helping the local community and, and, and so on. So it would be, it would be devastating for a lot of these families to get hit with this additional tax. Uh, you're so right. You're singing our song too. There, there's no you know, class of worker in, in America that's, that's, um, that's more diligent, um, that, that invests their time and resources into, uh, that that farming enterprise um, to improve it for the next generation. That's what it's all about. That is the culture. That's the ethic of, yeah. of rural America. So I'm sure it's why it's why I love doing what I do and getting to be an advocate for 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 U.S. agriculture. It's why I'm sure you love doing what you do and getting to help yeah. come alongside these farm families. Yeah. No. Exactly. That's that's uh, you know that's my passion. That's why I enjoy doing the blog. I enjoy doing the speaking. And, and for me, probably one of my favorite things to do is actually go out and visit farmers, tour their farm and, 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 and learn how they operate that farm. Yeah, it's amazing. I need to get you out to West Texas, uh, Paul, so you can see some. some, uh, uh, some I, I have I have clients in the Amarillo area and I've, I've been there many times. So uh, yeah. maybe great. that's not quite West Texas, that's Panhandle, but <laughs> it's close, it's close. Yeah, those are important distinctions, Paul, just like I'm <laughs> sure you have some of those in, in the, in the sub-state of, of Washington. All right, any final thoughts, Paul? Just uh, maybe just go to this. What do you think lawmakers uh, need to consider when looking at tax proposals that will affect rural America going forward. So we kind of dodged the bullet last year, the, 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 the massive, uh, the stepped up basis, the, the state tax uh, increases did not get done, as you mentioned, because yeah. of uh, largely because of Center Mansion, Center Cinema. Uh, but those ideas are, are, are still, you know, uh, um, they're still on the table in yeah. some way. Uh, what are the important things that legislators should think about going forward uh, uh, should uh, an effort start again to try and raise those taxes? 
Well, and again, I, I think uh, we just have to reinforce that there are unintended consequences that they really need to look at up front. I mean, uh, and I, I will definitely put a plug in for the farm organizations. You know, they were very united uh, to telling the story to Congress that, uh, that these proposals really were not, um, I won't necessarily say well thought out, but they didn't understand here are the consequences on, on you know, a large segment of the population that could be very devastating. So they, before they come up with these bills, I think hopefully they reach out to the people that are gonna be directly affected by it and understand how some of these proposals might happen before they actually bring them, uh, bring them up on the floor. I'm glad you did the shout out to the organizations. And I, I wanna say here, uh, especially American Farm Bureau's Pat Wolf did amazing work and then National Cattlemen's Beef Association, uh, uh, Daniel Beck did tremendous work in just helping people to understand and organize and engage with Congress in, in meaningful ways as they were trying to go through the details. It's complicated. And there are, as you say, a lot of potential unintended consequences. And actually having uh, some people like that, professionals uh, in their field who are engaging with Congress in that way is, is so very important. I, I can't thank you enough for sharing your expertise with us today, Paul, and all you do uh, on the on the blog, CLA Connect, um, as um, the Farm CPA. Uh, Paul, you are the man, and, and we just can't say thanks enough for helping to educate the public on, on how these, these policies affect the farm families. That's going to do it for this episode of Groundwork. I'm Tom Sell.